Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Dan Madigan and Patrick Martin. The Huskies are on a five-game winning streak after taking care of Georgetown in front of a sold-out crowd at the XL Center. Earlier on Wednesday, they beat Xavier 80-75 at home to cap off a two-game road trip with two wins. The Huskies are 15-2 and two on the season, tied for first in the Big East standings. A lot to talk about. They've been doing this all without Donovan Klingon, who has been hurt since the Seton Hall game on December 20th. Patrick, we had boots on the ground in Cincinnati for the Xavier game. You were there at the Cintas Center as the Huskies took care of business. What can you tell us about that game and what, what went well for the Huskies there? Road dubs, baby. I mean, that you know, all of college basketball is just falling apart and you know breaking at the seams with Purdue losing, Houston losing, Kansas losing, Tennessee losing and the Huskies just racking up the road dubs baby. I mean it's so damn impressive. Um I will say also you called me Midwest correspondent and on the YouTube preview show I would like to strike that from the record and say okay. I'm from Connecticut. I've I've lived 18 years in Connecticut. Uh, I may be living in Cincinnati now, but I will always be from Connecticut. You're you're on assignment in the Midwest. There we go. Yeah, it sounded like like you pulled me from the cornfields. Yeah, okay. So just with with that out of the way, um, I mean, I think we started to see Alex Carabin completely turn around any narrative that like he was going to regress with his shooting this year. Um, I mean, he had 26 points today. He was instrumental in the Xavier game as well with his shooting in the, in the first half, um, you know, battling down low in the small ball five. He's, he's really taking control of that team. I think as far as the leader um, with him and Cam Spencer, and it was just, it, it was great to see this team that like, it, there's so many different storylines that we can really hone in on, whether it be like Hassan Diara coming in, scoring nine straight points, Cam Spencer being this, like, the, you know, one of the most, again, underrated transfers to come in. Uh, Caravan that we just talked about, all doing this without Donovan Klingon to pick up two road wins, especially in the Cintas Center, where I don't think Hurley has won there. I don't even think Hurley has a win in Cincinnati, dating all the way back to when they played UC at, you know, in the AAC. Um, to do that without your, the big guy is just insane. It, it, watching all these other teams drop, you know, understandable games. And meanwhile, the machine just keeps on plugging away. It's insane. It, it's insane what's going on. Yeah, I I, I totally agree, Patrick. I think Cintas Center is a sneaky, underrated uh, Big East venue. Um, I remember that UConn Xavier game last year on New Year's Eve, and the sound was just deafening. It's just one of those things you could hear it through the TV screen. And there's not a lot of places in college basketball, not a ton of places in the Big East where that really happens on a night in and night out basis. I know Creighton is like that. Um, and, and Xavier really is too. So um, really cool for UConn to go in and get a win there. And you touched on this briefly, but Hassan Diara was just so impressive in that game. Um, you know, the box score may not look super sexy, but he had 11 points. I think he had seven or nine in a row there, like you said, in really carried the team in the second half. Like this is someone who was so limited offensively last year that he couldn't even get on the floor during UConn's stretch run um, through the NCAA tournament, where I think Andrew Hurley may have had more minutes than Hassan Diara. Like it, it was close uh, if it wasn't true. So 
for him to come out and just be this huge threat on both sides of the ball uh, is just super impressive to me. And he has stepped up as a three-point shooter. He was two for two against Xavier. He had uh, at, le at least one make today. Um, he's good at getting to the rack. We've seen him finish in traffic. And with his ability to hit that three-point shot, teams are closing out hard, and he's blowing by and finishing at the rim. So this is a seventh or eighth option on the UConn offense that is capable of doing 10 points a game uh, in the flow of the offense. And it's just really impressive. And defensively, he's just such a pest. He's just He has his hands in on everything. He's tipping balls, he's rebounding, he's boxing out, he's diving on the floor. Um, just a really fun, like, Big East conference player. Like, I feel like he was created in a lab to come off the bench and just wreak havoc. In that's what that's what Hurley said when I asked him in the postgame after Xavier. It's like, he's the prototypical Big East guard. And I think, Madigan, you and I are both, like, early, early Hassan Diara stockholders. So to see this start to pay dividends is is a delight. Yeah, I'm going to retire early off of this, which is really cool. But even in that Northern Arizona game, that first game of the year, I think I got some weird looks when we had this podcast. And I, someone, I think Amon asked, who is the X Factor? And I said, Hassan Diara. And I was maybe reaching a little bit, but the energy that he brings when he comes off the bench, it's kind of like that hybrid of what Joey Calcaterra and Naheem Aline brought last year. Whereas Aline, you know, as good of a player as he was, he brought a lot of defensive intensity. Calcaterra was that instant offense coming in with Klingon pick and rolls, lobs. Uh, Diara isn't maybe as strong as either of those players on both ends, but he's one player and he's kind of killing two birds with one stone. So very impressed. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that when someone's a good perimeter defender, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Yep. And that's basically one of Diara's biggest knocks against him right now as it relates to getting more appreciation, more hype around his game or whatever. But even even from a from a stats perspective, he's also now got his scoring up. He's contributing, uh, you know, in in many ways. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible development for the team. Ed Cooley, after the Georgetown game, also had some positive words about Hassan Diara and just what he brings. And you really, again, cannot underrate the value of being good defensively, especially when uh, kind of the starting lineup and the smaller lineup has some defensive limitations. He's like uh, he's like 30th right now in Evan Maya's um... – defensive BPR for the big East, which is, is, is pretty damn impressive. Like that's for That's your seventh guy. We're not talking about like your starting point guard. This is your, your seventh guy is ahead of like half of the conference. Yeah. And I don't think it's refreshed um, since this game, but I know after the Xavier game, he's continued to pop as UConn's as part of UConn's best offensive line. Yeah. Um, and like I said, this is, a crazy development compared to everything that we've seen last year. And um, it's just his role has really been huge and kind of kept this team going. I know he was big against Butler as well. Uh, carried UConn at times during that Xavier game and wow. has a big bucket against Georgetown tonight. So I, I, uh, I misread this data here. He actually is a higher rated offensive BPR than defensive BPR. Um, in total, he's a top 20 player in the conference. Yeah, and then we even saw this earlier in the season. You mentioned lineups. He was in there among UConn's top lineups, among the top lineups in the Big East, uh, even earlier in the season. So I think it's something where there's, you know, something he's bringing to the table for the team that, uh, again, it's harder to see on the stat sheet. You can see it when he's playing defense. You can see it when he's forcing deflections and steals. And then what it leads to on the other end. We just wrapped up the UConn-Georgetown game. The Huskies won that 80-67. to 67. And they did so on the strength of winning the fast break battle 
uh, 11 to four. And so I think that's something where, especially with clinging out, especially when you're playing more guards, you got to be running more, you got to be shooting better. They're doing that. And you got to be passing better. Their assist rates have been phenomenal uh, with clinging out. They just, against Xavier, had their highest assist rate of the season, 87%. They rocked a 75% against Georgetown. Uh, it's been really, really high since uh, since Klingon's been out. I think that's kind of what, what we've seen with this uh, just smaller lineups is uh, better shooting, not as great rebounding, which is a concern, but you can't recreate what a seven foot two individual accomplishes for you. So uh, I don't know if it's really like uh, incumbent on UConn to like try to make up for it. They're doing the right thing. They're adjusting strategically. And this is just a stretch of the season that they need to get through until clean can get back. Yeah. I think a lot of that is from the rise of Stefan castle as well. Like it's his, he's in double figures for four straight games now had 14 points against Georgetown. Um, his ability to take guys off the dribble, rebound, uh, hit hit a wide open three uh, from pretty deep today against the Hoyas has really opened things up. I think it's taken a lot of pressure off of Tristan Newton and Cam Spencer. Um, Tristan Newton has 19 assists in his last two games. Hasn't necessarily shot the rock well. I think he was three for nine from from deep over these past two games. But all all good um, looks though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it, what, I think they'll start to fall. We we've seen him be a, a pretty knockdown three point shooter, but. Um, I think the fact that Cam Spencer can go and get a bucket, Stefan Castle is without a doubt this team's best like isolation score. Um, even though Hurley and the team doesn't really dip into that right now, um, it's just another option with the, with the way that he's playing. So him kind of stepping into his own and, and kind of rounding into form as an elite NBA prospect, taking a little pressure, spread the wealth a little bit, and allowed guys like Diara to take and make wide open shots and score within the flow of the offense. Yeah, and so to talk about the Georgetown game a little bit more, I mean, on its face, 80 to 67 win maybe doesn't seem like the most, you know, remarkable result. Uh, UConn did not cover the Vegas point spread for people who care about things of that nature. I didn't check, but probably did not cover the Ken Palm spread either. Um, but I still think it's a good performance for a bunch of different reasons. One, you know, tough game no matter what. As we've discussed, Big East play very tough, very physical Lots of fouling. Uh, we also have discussed this before, but it is always going to be true. UConn getting every other team's best shot in every game. I think we saw elements of that, just Georgetown being really highly motivated. And then, like you said, Patrick, at the very beginning, lots of teams have been not taking care of business. It can happen to anyone anytime, and it could have happened to UConn today, uh, coming back from a two-game road trip, feeling high on yourself. Uh, and Jaden Epps could have gone for... 35, you know, yeah. one of those situations where like, you know, Kadari Richmond were just like, you kind of had no answer for him one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and this, and yeah. this game was just, it was close to becoming close, basically. Like it didn't get there uh, for this good, which was good for the well, sake of Dan Hurley. But, but at the same time, do you guys feel like, like I was never once like, you know, that meme where it's like you're playing a video game and you're lean back and then like you lean forward. And it's like, oh shit, we got to play now. I never once leaned forward. I was just kind of sitting there. It, like it never felt like, oh, even at like a seven point, or I think it might have been a five point game, never felt like this was really in, like in, in doubt. Do you guys feel that? I think you and the XL Center crowd had that in common. Uh, so like, yeah, all, it, it was kind of hungover, a ho hum. Yeah. It was kind of a ho hum environment. I'm not really sure why. We have some hypotheses. 
I think part of it, I was telling Madigan before, part of it is like, you know, Georgetown is just so down bad that fans are not super motivated by the possibility of beating the, Georgetown. The uh, the broadcast was trying so hard to hype up like, oh, it's, you know, 36-36. Look at all these battles they've had and all the battles for like from like the 80s and 90s. Like there was no contact. They showed Georgetown's last win against UConn, which was 2017. So we got to see a lot of like Altry Gilbert highlights uh, and you know things of that nature, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. But like, yeah, I I think everyone just like it was like a hangover game, really. Yeah, you know, I was I was also saying it, it felt like like December 23rd. You know, like it felt like one of those vibes. You're playing a CAA team on December 23rd. That was kind of the the atmosphere and then i will just add anecdotally i was sitting near like a real classic you know just like guy heckling the ref and 14 families around that guy were just aghast you know just like absolutely horrified that a man would be standing up and yelling at the referees and maybe swearing a little bit during a basketball game so um i don't know maybe it was a family-friendly environment for some reason maybe someone got Maybe someone got a two-pack with Disney on ice and this uh, or something. It was kind of a weird sellout that appeared out of nowhere, considering that it's Georgetown. I know it was on national TV and it's Ed Cooley, but it's still the bottom of the barrel Big East opponent. So I don't know. Maybe maybe a lot of people in attendance got free or discounted tickets or whatever. That's that's my like pet theory that I'm working with. Yeah, I also just think the flow of the game was kind of weird. Um, there was a lot of moments where – UConn would punch, you know, Klingon is just an, like, he's much more than this, but just an incredible cheerleader. Like the entire crowd is watching him wave his pterodactyl arms, like trying to pump the crowd up. And, you know, they were getting into it. And then Jaden Epps would come down and hit a bucket. Supreme Cook would get a rebound and hit a bucket. So uh, I think that took a lot out of it too. There was also a really good sequence. Um, there was a timeout. Cam Spencer hit a three-pointer and then it was the under eight timeout. So like, that's always really good to get the crowd going. Like, just have one play of basketball in like seven actual minutes. Um, and there was just 44 fouls. Um, two people in Georgetown followed out like with more than two minutes left in the game. So just, um, just the worst, absolutely awful aesthetically. It's just, yeah, it just was an ugly game. And I think the crowd never really had a shot to get into it, but um, this was a trap game. I was saying this basically as soon as the Xavier game ended, like, there's a, you know, early in the Hurley era or in the Kevin Alley era, like UConn loses this game. Um, it's very obvious to, for the letdown, like, you know, take care of business, become the number one team in the country, Creighton, Villanova on the docket. Um, but they took care of business. And, you know, I think that's what matters in the end, like 13 point win, nothing to scoff at. I looked at the Ken Palm score I'm on. It was a little off, but it, the total was the same. I think it was like 84, 63. Interesting. With the Ken Palm score and the final was 80 to 67. So kind of I mean, interesting, this, but th this yeah. had St. John's, this had the St. John's loss of last year written all over it. Yep. Which was the exact same time. I, I think it was, it might've been even like the same week. It was like, or no, maybe a little later in the I year. It was tom one tomorrow, January 15th. We're recording this on the 14th would be one year since that game. Mm -hmm. And and to say it's like, Oh, okay. Well we won by 13. Darn, darn didn't cover. Uh, oh yeah. Klingon's still yeah, out. You know, exactly. no big deal. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, we, looking at some rankings, UConn did just move down to eight in Ken Palm. I don't think that's a result of just one game. Their rebounding percentages have been down. So I all, think it's all of their defensive metrics are are kind of slipping right. with Klingon. 
And yeah, I mean, I, so I think that's, you know, not, not surprising and something that will most likely correct itself. However, as we have been alluding to and discussing, UConn is most likely going to be the number one ranked team in the country. We don't want to be squirrels. Uh, sorry, Dan Hurley, but uh, I do think it's worth talking about, you know, when we're, we're thinking about the UConn Huskies uh, becoming ranked number one in the country for the first time since 2009, that is a huge, huge deal. There's no, you know, I get that it's not like a goal for Dan Hurley to be ranked number one in January. That's obviously not the point of any of this, but at the same time, getting back there, you know, to talk about just, uh, you know, 2017, 2018, nobody thought we would be like this. Obviously winning the championship is way better than being ranked number one in, in January, but again, for this team to do it after losing three NBA play, you know, all the stuff we talked about early in the season. Um, I do think it's, it's an incredible accomplishment if that is what happens and, uh, something where I could see UConn really uh, being able to hold on to that, maybe not immediately right then. It might be tough in early, mid-January to hold on to it, but I could see UConn getting ranked one and then maybe losing it, but then getting it back again later in the season. So uh, did you, that's, um, good. that's good and cool to me. Did you all see the graphic that uh, Fox threw up about the last time? UConn was yeah, ranked I, number I, one. I did see that. What, what are your thoughts about it? Well, for, I was going to ask you, what were you all doing on February 16th of 2009? Oh, man. I was at UConn. Probably I was, having a pretty good time. <laughs> I was a freshman in college um, and was, I think it, oh, yeah, this was center term. Yeah, so it was like our mid-semester thing. But freshman I was in college. Graduating college, but I did not. So let's. Um, but no, the there are other graphics that they put out there. Uh, Apple released the first MacBook Air. I don't give a shit about that. Um, My life would suck without you by Kelly Clarkston was the number one song. It's a really good embarrassed, song. Embarrassed, embarrassed to say that that doesn't ring a bell. I'm gonna listen to it on my drive you here. Second you hear it. Yeah, you gotta tune in for that. Okay, I, I like. I feel like I know what it is, but it just doesn't. Yeah. It's not coming. Fast to me. forward like one minute in, but you you will. Okay, uh, and then minimum wage seven twenty five per hour. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh. <laughs> Didn't know we were talking politics. We can, tackle, we can tackle that later in the UConn fast break economic pod that's coming oh. out later this week. Oh, Ooh, man. Let's talk about incentives, folks. <laughs> watch, watch this space for more political yeah. takes. Uh, and then gas was two seventy five a gallon. Though that was the big thing. I feel like they could have done so much better with that. that like, gas got close to that. Isn't glass gas price like? Pretty close to that now. Yeah, yeah it's like two eighty seven, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, don't know, I feel like you. I feel like you could have. Like, thanks, Obama. On. Yeah, you could have come up with some better like stuff of that, like yeah. of what things were back then. We did that for the epic. Like, when was the last time the UConn women's basketball team lost back to back games? And it was nineteen ninety three, which is just you know an insane year to think about. Uh, Donkey Kong, the video game, came out that year. It was like a crazy good year for movies like Jurassic Park and Sandlot came out that year. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, do you know? Do some movies. Do some. Uh, do some uh, countries that existed that don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, sports franchises that don't exist anymore. You know, all that stuff you could do. Uh, you know, the Montreal Nordiques uh, existed back then, probably. Uh, they probably didn't actually. Sorry, well, I'm just kidding. I think I think that's our role as hard hitting journalists is to to uncover some some nuggets there. Let's talk minimum wage. Let's talk minimum wage. We're gonna folks. we're gonna we're gonna squirrel that away. Speaking of squirrels, <laughs> and, and 
and get on that, uh, you know, if they do make it to number one this week. But no, I mean, I think the biggest thing to me, um, you know, I was trying to think about it before. I think Sean on our team, shout out to Sean, dug up the stat. It was like 776 weeks. Um, you know, it's been 15 years, basically. Um, there's three national championships, three different coaches, and maybe a, what, six-year stretch where UConn was basically untenable as a basketball program, like Bad. just completely unserious. Um, maybe less than six years, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just crazy the the rise to get back where we're even having a conversation about this being a thing. Um and it's just it's just really crazy. And last year, you know, the team was close to being ranked number one. They were number two for for a good stretch. And, you know, the AP poll really doesn't matter. I think UConn being number one in Ken Palm last year, much more significant achievement. But I do feel like being number one in the AP poll will matter. And it will, you know, UConn fans will kind of take a lot of pride in that because it's been a long ass time. It's been a really long time. And it's been, you know, everybody, everybody loves nostalgia. And yeah. I think when you can tie that in with like, oh, wow, 2009, like, and then you can start thinking about that team and how like that was a Jerome Dyson injury away from possibly a title and then the six overtime game. I mean, you can really drum up a lot of the history there and just completely forget that, like, like you said, that six year stretch of like. And, well, and that UConn was perennially or or many years, Zilli, uh, a, a contender to be the number one ranked team in the country. And I think that's when we talk about like getting back to that place, uh, something that would have been so hard to imagine yeah. uh, five, six years ago. Even if you say like, I think Hurley could do a good job. That doesn't mean being ranked number one. That doesn't mean winning a ship in year four or five, whatever, you know, whatever exactly it was. Those are all just, you know, ahead of schedule stuff in, in my opinion. So uh, you have to hand it to Dan Hurley once again, folks. I actually, you know, let's let's talk about that a little bit. I, I think the coaching job that they're doing right now is just so remarkable and worthy of praise, considering that they, like we discussed before, they've been without Castle for a stretch of this season and then without Klingon. Those are the two NBA guys. Those without are Klingon two- twice as well, Klingon. too. Preseason, you know, they had to go through all that without, yeah. uh, you know, their star center, basically the guy, you know, Adama Sanogo's successor, for lack of a better term. Um, and then, yeah, he came back. He, he got hurt again. And Castle's been out. And they've kind of just navigated their way through so many different speed bumps. And I think it comes down to the continuity that they've had for so long. Like, Kamani Young and Luke Murray probably shouldn't be at UConn still. But they are. And I think that's a testament to the culture that Hurley's built and the athletic department for ponying up. And, and you know, I'm sure they've gotten offers that are comparable and Eventually, they're going to want to lead their own programs, but being able to do enough to kind of keep them around um, to build up a, a real culture and kind of build this thing from the ground up and have a really wide base. So when Luke Murray leaves, when Kamani Young leaves, they can bring in new coaches for as long as Hurley is there and kind of keep things churning along. So um, that's the biggest thing to me. I, I really don't think this sustained excellence uh, is possible without that. Like, look at what Gino's done on the women's side, right? Like, there's been people coming in and out, but at the end of the day, it's Gino and CD, and they're just going to keep things churning along with whoever's along for the ride. Uh, and so I think that makes a huge difference. I think when you consider it's like the Hurley family is, is such basketball royalty that there, there's probably so many connections. Like they are so plugged into like whatever um, 
like new young rising star there is that they're going to be able to grab someone and and you know replace Kamani, replace Luke. I'm not saying seamlessly, but like they, I feel like they're they have such an eye for not just basketball talent, but like coaching and educational talent. And we've talked about this before, how like important that New Mexico State game was, where like Hurley had that come to Jesus moment of like. I got to get like, I got to get an offense here. That's more modern. I got to become the next Villanova essentially uh, on the offensive end. I mean, there's that video that went around of all of like the screens and the rescreens and the slips and of, of like Spencer and Caravan going through and um, Desmond Claude had to having to like fight through like six different screens, like show that clip to, you know, someone living in 2017 with it, with this UConn Huskies team, and actually, I forgot about this. I looked on Time Hop five years ago yesterday. I covered I UConn know. playing Cincinnati, uh, UC, and their shoot around was just like a very ca- like it, it, it was insane. That shoot around was so casual, didn't look like very professional. And the Xavier shoot around that I went to on Wednesday, Kamani Young is screaming at Samson Johnson and Yusuf Singar for not going hard enough. They are breaking sweats. They are doing everything. It was like a, it was like a Navy SEALs type like preparation. And then you look five years ago and it was, they're just kind of sh- getting shots up, hanging around and whatever. Um, and, you know, that just speaks so much to like the culture that he's established that like, you know, those guys bet on themselves. They're going to get really good jobs. And because of that, that's going to be like a highly coveted role in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things UConn fans get into a frenzy every year, imagining that um, assistant coaches are going to be leaving. But I do think this really might be the year yeah. where um, one of Kimani or Luke Murray goes. I think we're pretty solid with Tom Moore. I think he likes his job and station in life and everything. But yeah, Patrick, I totally agree. Just the way that this UConn team looks offensively, the poetry in motion, especially with that smaller lineup, I I, I like a lot about it. I think it accomplishes so much. We, we talked about it in the last podcast too, but just the way it creates matchup nightmares. It's an elite shooting unit. Uh, it spreads the floor. It just does such an amazing job taking advantage of all the talents that UConn has. And then those bigger guards can handle or at least hold their own a little bit in the rebounding and post defense. It's obviously something they have to strain for to be solid there, but um, it's an incredible wrinkle strategically that they're able to bring with that lineup. Yeah. I mean, the thing to me too, is just how not only like Patrick said, Hurley kind of transformed his offensive thinking to go to a more complex pro style offense, but um it's just such an emphasis on shooting all the things that it takes for any player to be successful at the NBA level. So I think it's easier to pitch that stuff to recruits. Whereas like, you know, say you're Jim Beheim when he was coaching at Syracuse, feel like it's a hard sell to, uh, for a top five, top 10 recruit to come play zone and run some archaic offense for one year. Whereas if you're at Stefan Castle, Hurley can say, look, like this is what the Clippers are doing. This is what the Rockets are doing right now. Uh, come play for us for a year. You're going to be ready for the league. And I just think that makes it a lot more interesting and a lot, you know, easier to sell to to those type of prospects. But yeah, the emphasis on shooting, the emphasis on versatility on offense and defense has really taken this team to another level because you could see the glimpses of it, the flashes of what Hurley was trying to do before that New Mexico State loss uh, in that season. And that team was not a bad team by any means, but um, the pieces just weren't totally in place yet. Um, And now it seems like 
he has a good system going of, of what he wants to do. And then we would not be completing this podcast without a little bit of a conversation about Cam Spencer, uh, talking about someone who, you know, the, well, the new guy on the team transferred over. He is their leading scorer, uh, which is which is incredible. And also someone who brings a lot more, you know, like spiritual leader. Today, he was a little bit of an enforcer. I don't know if you saw Newton getting into a little bit of a skirmish and Cam stepping in front. He was so, so he came out of nowhere. He entered from a void to to get between, I believe it was Supreme Cook and Tristan Newton, like unbelievably fast, fast as he'd move out of court all year. I I just love I love how like every out of bounds call Cam Spencer's like that's us, that's us. Yeah. you know everything is everything is us, everything is him. Uh, it's it's the spirit, but he's also killing it on the court. I mean, yeah. it's it's something where. Uh, I'll be honest. You see it against, you see it against Northern Arizona. You see it against Manhattan. You go, okay, cool. Maybe Cam Spencer is like a, you know, uh, a guy who's there to beat the, the bad teams on the schedule. But no, he's showing up against better teams. Uh, you know, think about Xavier. Think about North Carolina. Um, he's he's someone who brings a lot to this team. And I think also what's helpful is just like attitude. Um, He's a guy who like wants to play in the NCAA tournament. He was an overlooked recruit, right? Nothing like the freshmen on this team right now who are like top 50 recruits, probably been like courted by college coaches since they were 12. Cam Spencer, meanwhile, probably has carried a chip on his shoulder forever, but especially since high school, being overlooked, going to Loyola, even after Loyola, ending up at Rutgers, at Rutgers, uh, not getting into the NCAA tournament on a decent team there. And now he's the leading scorer on what might be the number one team in the country. Uh, it's really like such an incredible thing. What a journey for the guy and uh, something that, you know, makes you happy. It's not, it's not all about like copying the best recruits and the best ratings and all that stuff. You got to find dudes, dudes that fit. And Cam Spencer is one of them. It's, it's uh, an incredible piece of team building uh, that Hurley and his staff have done to bring him in and, help make this huge team what it is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he's definitely the heart and soul of this team. Um, and his, you know, his mannerisms, his actions and stuff are loud, but I feel like he is notorious for quiet games and not necessarily in a bad way. Like I would not have guessed that Cam Spencer had 20 points today. Um, but just the way that he's fitting his shots in within the flow of the offense, taking open looks, but he's not afraid to pass up um, good shots for better ones for his teammates. Uh, he's just an incredible fit with this offense. And, I think the intensity that he brings on both ends uh, makes a huge difference. And, you know, look, this is somebody at the beginning of the season that struggled. Honestly, he was four for 13 from three in his first two games here at UConn. Um, there was some defensive flaws that were very, very obvious uh, within the first 20 minutes of him playing. And I feel like he's really patched that up uh, and been able to play a lot longer because of that play, you know, get more playing time. Um, I was watching the game today with someone else and I was counting that I feel like the only shot big shot that Cam Spencer has missed all year was that three-pointer against Kansas that would have would have forced overtime and you know he's not going to make them all he's an incredible shooter but when UConn needs a bucket it's very obvious that they're running looks for him and he's consistently delivering there was one I think Georgetown got within five or six um Hurley drew up a play out of timeout Cam Spencer hit a three there was a dagger against Butler to kind of put that game away uh, Spencer waved by to the crowd. 
Um, yes. And, you know, it, it's just really impressive. And he's hit big shots before this, too. He put Purdue away last year when he was at Rutgers with the buzzer beater. And it's like he may not be uh, a March tested player like some of the other people on this team uh, are, but he's built for March, you know, and I think that goes a long way. And he really embodies what Dan Hurley is trying to do with this program. And it's really cool to see in the era of the transfer portal, um, Hurley not just going after talent bringing guys that are very good basketball players, A, but also really good fits. And there was other targets that UConn was in on and, and lost out on um, that probably wouldn't have been as good of a fit for this team. Um, so it's just funny how it all works. And shout Absolutely. out to Ed Cooley for potentially making Cam Spencer available. Yeah, I mean, I, I all of that for sure. And yeah, just, uh, yeah, how, how incredible the like chemistry that Dan Hurley and Cam Spencer have. Yeah. You could see Cam potentially even ending up on Dan Hurley's coaching staff in the future. I think that's uh, uh, potentially within the realm. On the fast break, we've got a great feature on Cam Spencer written by Russ Steinberg. Some great anecdotes from his high school and Loyola career, including the fact that on a seven-hour bus ride while his teammates were watching movies, Cam Spencer was intentionally not watching the movie and watching film of the opponent. No surprise to anyone here, but that really is the good stuff. We also have an article on the small ball lineup and how UConn is making that work. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Spencer has just been unbelievable. And I think that article from Russ is 100% worth checking out if anyone hasn't already. And I feel like the culture, that intensity that he's kind of brought to the team has rubbed off on a lot of people. And I think one of the people we see it in the most is Alex Carabin. He has really taken the leap this year as a scorer, as a defender, as an all-around player. But I feel like he's just more locked in this year. Like, I feel like he's not as intense as Spencer. I don't really know any other players that, that truly are, but... I feel like he brings so much energy and intensity and focus. Uh, and you saw today he played, he's dealing with a hyperextended knee. I believe you said he's sick, right, Amon? Um, he, has a, he has stitches above his eye. He played 38 minutes, 26 points. He had pretty much half of UConn's points for a good majority of the game and uh, also chipped in five rebounds and, and two assists. So um, his emergence has really been another factor in all this. And I feel like, he kind of gets overshadowed sometimes just because of what Tristan Newton, what Cam Spencer, what Steph Castle has done. Um, but he's just been so impressive pretty much night in and night out this year. And um, him evolving into a consistent offensive threat, uh, not just at the perimeter, but in the paint against smaller defenders too, has just been really impressive to see. Um, but this is another guy I feel like you said with Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan was not a top 50, top 40, top 30 recruit. Um, someone who was kind of chided for maybe a lack of athleticism. Uh, and he's kind of come in and transformed his body and transformed his game to be one of the most important, if not the most important player on this UConn team. So really cool to see him develop. He's entered into the NBA conversation now. We just had an article out on the blog saying he's getting second round looks. So um, it's an, it's really cool to see him improve his draft stock throughout the season. And maybe he'll get an NBA look either this year or, or next year. Yeah, and, and you know, this experience playing at the five for UConn in that lineup, it's really pushing him on his versatility and to develop and grow that. But right now, he's just absolutely nailing it from three. So he was six of eight against Georgetown on Sunday. He's been over 50% from three in his last four games. So he was just now six of eight. He was three of six against Xavier, four of six against Butler, and three of four against DePaul. So uh, absolutely killing it. 26 points 
on Sunday against Georgetown, 14 against Xavier, 20 against Butler, 17 against DePaul. He is really carrying UConn through this stretch, and that's what you need to see from team leaders. But in addition to that, yeah, what we really like to see from Caravan, he's vocal out there. He's he's doing the Hurley thing, yelling about every foul. He's starting to guide teammates places. He's starting to be a little forceful with teammates even. You can see it on the court. And that's really part of that next level for him too. And even just like interviews, you know, like he is the guy always going out there for interviews because he's the core of the team and he answers every question, you know, exactly as the coaches want him to, which, uh, which I'm sure is also, you know, part, part of his training that he just takes on and, and uh, handles amazingly, just like he does everything else. So uh, we'll have to look into what else Alex Caravan is good at. Um, we can say after our investigation to what Cam Spencer is good at, we found out golf uh, on the broadcast recently. And then from Russ's article, we got that he played some Fortnite and Call of Duty with his college roommates. I would not want to play, I think, Call of Duty with Cam Spencer. He'd probably wreck me. No, I think he's going through a lot of controllers. <laughs> Maybe a few monitors or, or TV screens yeah. as well. But uh, no, I mean, he just seems like one of those guys that's good at everything. I think... Patrick did some real like big J journalism, found out he was he was at one point a three handicap and now he's like a six handicap, which is incredibly, incredibly impressive. Uh, I think we discussed that on the pod a, a few weeks back. But um, no, he's just one of those guys that's good at everything and um, very intense. And yeah, I would I would not like to face him in, in really anything. Else. Yeah, like I said, left hungry, hungry hippos. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he's good at it. And I am positive he is good at beer pong, darts and billiards yeah he'd be a bar game nightmare and, and potentially you know uh ping pong table tennis as well yep. I, I think uh I, I would love to find that out i'd love to do the cam spencer decathlon maybe someday and just play all of those games with him something to think about potentially an nil event um hit me up top golf that, that would really be the dream that would be good all right well folks uh as always this has been a treat this podcast is a production of the fast break newsletter a wonderful little operation that's going deep on uconn men's basketball we hope you check it out subscribe tell your friends otherwise thank you all for listening